First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Well, hello. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm the church planning director here at First Baptist Melbourne. Excited to share with you uh, from God's word this morning. Um, one of the things that I think helps define who I am is I'm a dad. Uh, last week, Scott talked uh, about Mother's Day, and it was awesome hearing from uh, Exodus um, about, about the story um, of Moses and the basket. But Father's Day is coming up, and one of the th- cool things about being a dad, and if you're not a dad, you might not know this yet, but dads have superpowers. That's right. If you're a dad, you have a superpower, and I want to show you an example of a dad with that superpower. So here it is. Check it out. That is the superpower of dad reflexes. The response time in that, that, that clip that dad showed is incredible. Um, to be able to just move so fast, he just knew it was coming. Um, and sometimes we need to respond quickly to things. Sometimes we need to be more measured, but we all need to respond. And sometimes we need to respond in different ways. And today we're going to be talking about how we can respond to something specific that happened. Uh, two weeks ago, Scott preached about the miracle of Pentecost. And this week, we're going to see the church's first steps walking in the power of the Spirit. Scott said a couple weeks ago that God has given the Spirit so that the nations, our neighbors, can hear the wonderful works of God today, and we're going to see this morning the direct results of the power of the Spirit in the person of Peter being filled by that Spirit, and he stands up and he proclaims in power and clarity, and God is working clearly and powerfully as we explore how those listening to Peter's sermon um, thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago, how did they respond to that message? But today I want to ask you a question. How do you respond to God's work. When you see God's, God working in people or situations, how do you respond? Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 in verses 14 all the way to 41. But before we, we read the whole passage, I want us to see three initial responses to people who saw God work. We're going to look closely at how people in the Bible responded to God working, and we're going to zoom back out and and look at how maybe they should have responded. So the first way that you could respond to God's work is you could respond with skepticism. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So we pick up in verse 14, things that happened right after Pentecost. Remember there was a wind and tongues of fire and everyone around is is trying to figure out what's going on. And in verse 12, just a couple of verses before this, it says that they were amazed and they were perplexed. But in verse 13, some people responded that, oh, they're just drunk. And Peter stands up and says, come on, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. There's a better explanation than we're drunk. And let me tell you what it is. But their response to seeing God work in such a clear and powerful way was skepticism. 
Now, when we think of skepticism, I think our, our reaction can be, we can, we can have a skeptical reaction all the time. I think there's a, skept, a little bit of a skeptic in all of us. And I, I think as a society, we're growing more and more skeptical. I think we trust less and less. We're becoming more and more skeptical. And I think a more skeptical society leads to some crazy things. And here's one thing that I want to show you that I think uh, is driven by skepticism. This is the Flat Earth Society. And this is what they believe the Earth looks like. It's not a, not a sphere, it's a disk. And I don't want to uh, get into the science or any of that stuff about that, but I, if you look at their website and what's driving a lot of that is skepticism. They don't trust media, they don't trust the science, they don't trust NASA, they don't trust the government. Skepticism is driving this group. And skepticism can easily drive us today. We respond with skepticism to, to, to what God does when we say it's just a coincidence that happened. When we see God work, we can respond with skepticism to say there's no way that person got saved. We can respond just like they responded with skepticism when we clearly see God work. Another way that you could respond is with anger. And here they respond with anger. Let's jump down to verse 22 in chapter 2 of Acts. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Verse 22 tells us that God was clearly working, clearly working with mighty works and wonders and signs that everybody plainly saw. But the things that Jesus was doing just weren't expected. Jesus wasn't the kind of savior that they thought he should have been. And so the people back then responded with anger. And Peter lets them know that Jesus dying was their fault. He puts responsibility for their, his death on them by saying, he delivered, you delivered him into the hands of lawless men and crucified him. So many times we respond with anger when we see God work too. When, a lot of times that happens when things don't line up the way we want it. We can see God work sometimes, but it's not the way that we like, and we don't like that, and I don't like that, and so we respond with anger. And I think there's a connection between expectation and anger. A lot of times we expect things from other people that they never promised or they can't deliver, um, and that leads to, to frustration and anger when those expectations go unmet. And that's what happened to Jesus. Jesus wasn't the Savior they were hoping for, and so they responded with anger to the clear an awesome work and signs that he, was, that he was exhibiting and performing, and they crucified him. So we can respond with skepticism. We could respond with anger. Another way that we could respond is with ambivalence. And we see this in verse 32 and 33. Let's read that. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So Peter tells them that they've responded, they've seen Jesus' work in the signs and miracles, but they've also seen Jesus, they've seen his, his resurrection, they've seen the evidence of the Spirit coming. 
just just think about what these people have seen for a second. They're, they they they've seen a guy who was arrested by the Romans, killed, and then came back to life. They saw uneducated, ordinary men talking in new languages. Uh, this rushing wind, these tongues of fire. They had seen the coming of the Spirit, and they were just going about their day like it was any like it was a, a Saturday. Like it was any normal day. People, Jesus had just been crucified and resurrected and they were just in town celebrating Pentecost like nothing had even happened. That's, that's just crazy. It'd be like somebody walking around like, like they have no idea. They've never heard of the coronavirus. That's insane. That's insane. There, there, there's, there's, there's an ambivalence about the people that they just are completely oblivious to what Jesus did and they can respond in that same way. We can respond to God the same way. We respond with ambivalence to God when we know we should do something and we just put it off or or we want to follow Jesus but we don't want to follow Jesus too much because it makes us look crazy and so we'll just follow him sensibly and that's just being ambivalent to the things of God just like this. We all can do these things. We all can respond to God in these ways with skepticism, with anger, or with ambivalence. Those are things that we, ways we can respond to God. But the question I want to ask you is, how should you respond to God's work? How should you respond to God's work? One of the things that's so cool about this sermon is Peter is an embodiment of the power and the testimony of the power of the Spirit. And just think about Peter, what he was like before the resurrection. He was impulsive, he was stubborn. He would make promises that he couldn't deliver on. He would, he would put his foot in his mouth again and again and again. He was very passionate, but didn't always have the best judgment. And now Peter, filled with the Spirit, stands up in front of a skeptical audience, in front of an angry crowd, and proclaims in power. He's showing leadership. He's showing boldness. He's showing compassion. Peter did, wasn't planning this sermon for weeks and weeks and weeks and this happened. He was filled with the Spirit and Scripture just pours out of his mouth. It's a pretty amazing thing. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through Peter's sermon and see how what Peter says about how what they've just seen, how they should respond to God's work. The first thing that Peter says is that they should respond with amazement and not skepticism. Let's go back and read. Let's go back to verse 14 and read this whole section in Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants, my men servants, and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. What, what Peter is doing here is he's going back to the book of Joel, chapter 2, and he's using what Joel said back then to say, hey, what Joel said then is happening right now. 
namely the coming of the Holy Spirit. Just like when we read the Old Testament, we read about the promise of the Messiah. The Old Testament also promises that the Spirit would come. And Peter is saying, hey, what you just heard in that upper room, what you're seeing right now, Joel talked about it hundreds of years ago. In verses 17 and 18, Peter quotes Joel saying that your sons and your daughters and your servants will prophesy. And this word prophesy doesn't mean look into the future and predict the future. It means proclaim. They will proclaim the works of God. And the Spirit being poured out, it's, it, it's on men, it's on women, it's on rich, it's on poor, it's on everybody. And Peter would need to relearn that lesson, looking ahead in Acts chapter 10. But the idea that the Spirit would just be poured out on anybody was an outrageous thing that just happened in their mists, right under their noses. In Joel, in, in, in verses 19 and 20 of Acts chapter 2, these are, these are indicators of the crucifixion, talking about uh, the, the, the sun and the moon and, 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 and different things happening there. These are indicators of the crucifixion and things that happened around that. So to summarize, it was an amazing time that Joel was prophesying about. And Peter says what he was talking about is happening right now. It's amazing. And I think there's a difference. When you think of being amazed, I think there's a difference between having discernment and losing your sense of awe. And I think that that sense of awe um, is something that we can lose the older that we get. We've seen it, we've done it, and and that sense of of, of excitement and awe when something amazing happens kind of just gets diminished. And that's what's one thing that's great about being a dad is, is seeing kids be excited about just simple things. They're just amazed and they have this sense of awe. And here's an example of that sense of awe. This is my son Carter playing with some dominoes. I love that video. And when my wife sent that to me, I just kept watching it again and again because his reaction when those dominoes fell was just, it was, it was awe. It was amazement. And they were just dominoes. And we get to see those moments with our kids. And I, just seeing that on his face, when we see God work, there should be something in us that responds in that same way, that same awe and just wonder that God is so amazing and he's so good. And sometimes for us to recapture that sense of awe, we need to remember what he's done for us in the past. We remember the mighty works that he's done and we need to keep our eyes open looking for God to move in amazing ways. How should we respond to God's work? First way is we should respond with awe. But the second way that Peter goes on and, and looks at is that we should respond with joy, not with anger. Let's go down and read verses 22 through 31 in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosened, loosed the pangs of death, 
because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption." Well, there's a lot going on in that passage. But Peter, again, is going to the Old Testament to explain the events that they had just seen. First off, in verses 22 through 24, he's basically summarizing what Jesus had done. Or to put it another way, he's summarizing the gospel and what Jesus had done, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Jesus was God. He was killed in verse 23, and then he was resurrected in verse 24. And then he goes back to Psalm 16 and talks about the resurrection of Jesus in verses 25 through 31. He's interpreting this as David being a prophet, not talking about himself, but talking about Jesus, who was the Messiah to come. In verses 29 and 30, uh, Peter explains as much because he says G- David isn't talking about himself because David is dead. David is buried. And if you want to go to his tomb, I can take you right there. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about someone else that would come that would not stay in the grave, that would not stay buried, that would not stay in the tomb, but would be resurrected. Peter says that because David died and remains dead, This passage is not talking about David. It's talking about someone else. And Peter says it's talking about Jesus. And in verse 30, he talks about the promise. Pastor Scott did a a series um, last year in 2 Samuel. And and in verse 30 and 31, um, it's pointing back to the, the promise that God made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that he would have a descendant on the throne. The Messiah would come from his line. And you, you heard in that passage a couple times, I will be filled with joy in his presence and the idea of being in God's presence, the idea of witnessing what God had done should fill our hearts with joy. It's good news. It's the best news you could possibly imagine. And Peter is saying we should be filled with joy at what God has done, not anger. And I've got, I, I keep talking about my kids, but I'm going to keep going there. I've got five of them. And uh, I remember uh, very vividly when, when Bethany told me that she was pregnant with Austin. We had just gone through a really rough uh, patch and she was at work and she called me and she was in tears. And she said she literally fell off of her chair when she found out at work. And I just remember exactly where I was in our first apartment and the joy that I had in my heart. I wasn't thinking of the, the, the dirty diapers I had to change or waking up in the middle of the night or him turning into a surly teenager or anything like that. 
I, there was so much joy in my heart just knowing what was coming. And I had that same reaction with all of my kids, except for Everly, number five. I had so much joy with her, but there was a little bit of, a little, a little, a little bit of jitters going on that, oh my goodness, we're going to have five kids. But um, there was so much joy uh, with all of those. And when we see God working in our life, when we see God working in the lives of other people, we should just fill our hearts with joy, with amazement, even if it's not how we expected it to be. So how should we respond to God's work? We should respond with amazement, not skepticism. We should respond with joy and not anger. And lastly, we should respond with action and not ambivalence. Let's finish out this sermon, starting in verse 32. Peter says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out This which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Again, Peter goes back to the Old Testament to explain what happened, and namely his ascension going up, and now he's using a different psalm. He's using Psalm 110. As David wrote this psalm, David again wasn't talking about himself when he wrote, the Lord said to my Lord. He wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the Messiah to come, and Peter was a good student. Because Jesus explained this very same psalm to the Pharisees in Matthew 22. So Peter remembers and he explains it again to the audience here. He was reviewing every big event in verses 32 through and 33. The resurrection, the ascension, the receiving of the promised spirit. But after his explanation, Peter gets real. I mean, he gets really real. In verse 36, he reminds everyone of two things. Jesus is the Messiah. They don't have to wait or look for anyone else. He is the promised Messiah. And secondly, you crucified him. You killed him. And the implication there is you've got to respond to that. You've got to take action about what you have done. Um, We lived in North Carolina for eight years, and we loved living there. It was actually pretty cool, but at our core, we were Floridians, my wife and I, my family. Um, And one of the things that was different about North Carolina than Florida is that uh, Floridians are viewed differently by North North Carolinians. We're seen as a little bit different, a little bit strange. We're seen as the people who go surfing when there's a Category 4 hurricane off the beach or have a pet alligator or some, some kind of weird things like that. And, and so it's like we're seen as, but they always did this in a nice way, right? I, I love them. I loved my time there. But they had that Southern hospitality to make you feel nice even when they were saying something maybe mean. But um, they saw Floridians as people um, that should know better but didn't care. Right, We just went on and did whatever we wanted to do because that's how we're going to live our life. And sometimes that's the way we live our life. Um, we, 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 we know we should take a step. We know we should take an action. We know we should get that squeak in our car looked at. We know we should get that leak. And we're just like, we just don't care. But we need to be people of action because something, sometimes some things require action. And that's what Peter's insinuating here. You crucified him. You can't be ambivalent about it. You need to act. 
So we've seen how they've reacted in the past, and we've seen how they should have reacted. They should not have been skeptical. They should be amazed at the coming of the Spirit. They shouldn't have been angry, but they should have joy knowing that Jesus died for them. They shouldn't have been ambivalent. They should act and follow Jesus. Now we're at the end of the passage. Let's see what they do. Acts 2, 37-41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So Peter delivers his message. You've got, he gave them a, a point of decision. They, had, they realized what happened and what they had missed. How did they respond to God? The Bible says they were cut to the heart. Another way to put that is they were under a deep conviction and they asked, what can we do to, to make things right? I don't know about you, but have you, have you ever been in a situation where there's something that you know needs to change? There's something going on that you know needs to change and it's just weighing on you, on your chest, on your shoulder, just like a ton of bricks. Maybe you're under deep conviction this morning and something's got to change. They ask, what, what must we do? And Peter responds brilliantly, like John the Baptist had said um, years earlier, repent and be baptized. Repent, turn from their sin, turn from the path that they're on, turn and follow Jesus. Believe that Jesus came, died, was buried and rose again on the third day and be baptized in his name. And they will have their sins forgiven and they will receive the gift of the Spirit. And the result of that, was amazing. 3,000 people received God's grace and followed God's gospel and were baptized. There's one verse that we, we read a lot of scripture. There's one verse I skipped and I want to read it right now. This is Acts 2, 21. This is Peter again quoting the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A lot of times when we go back to the Old Testament, we think of all the promises. We, we looked at the promises of the ascension, of the resurrection, of the coming of the Spirit. This is another Old Testament promise that stands true today. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus for salvation will be saved. Peter says in Acts 2.39, For the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. So as you're sitting watching this this morning, how will you respond to God this morning? At the heart of this passage is a mess, uh, an, an audience hearing a message and being challenged to respond. How can you respond to what God is saying to you this morning? Will you respond to Jesus with skepticism or with amazement?
Look at what Jesus has done. He's lived a perfect life. He willingly died in your place. He rose from the dead and he's alive today and he wants you to follow him if you will call on his name. Are you a cynic? Are you a skeptic? There's a difference between having discernment and losing your sense of awe. What has God done for you? What is God doing in your life? Respond to Jesus with amazement for all that he has done and all that he is. Will you respond to Jesus this morning with anger or with joy? Let me ask you a question. Are you angry at God today? Are the expectations for your life falling short of where you had them set? That can be very difficult to even even, even think about and talk about because so many times I know life hasn't worked out the way I've wanted it to work out. But when I take a big picture view, when I zoom back out and think of all that God has done in my life, all that He is going to do in, in the future, all the ways that He loves me, all the ways that He shows me grace, I can't help but be filled with joy and the anger and the frustration melts away. You know, joy is a reaction, but joy is also a choice. And there are times where you and I need to choose joy when it's not coming naturally. And Jesus gives you that invitation to choose joy in Him today. And lastly, will you respond to Jesus with ambivalence or with action? Jesus is calling you today. If you're far from God, if you are, have been running from God your whole life, He is calling you right now, today as you're watching this. He's calling you near right now. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to start a new life with Him, Right now, there, there are pastors that are, that are in the chat. Let them, one of them know in the chat, or you can email us at believe at fbcmail.org. We want to help you in following Jesus, what that looks like. How to, what does it mean to turn from my sin and to follow Jesus? We've talked about the gospel so many times, but maybe today is the time where you need to respond with action and follow him today. If you're a Christian and you follow Jesus sometime in your past, what has God laid on your heart to do? Is there something that you've been putting off and putting off and just kind of just sweeping under the rug that you need to do? Maybe, maybe it's a move. Maybe it's a new career. Maybe it's a new choice for school for your kids. Maybe it's reaching out to a neighbor or a family member. Maybe it's a reorientation of your life. Act. Respond decisively today. Carry the conviction of the Spirit, that same Spirit that came and indwelled these believers, that same Spirit that rose Jesus from the, day, from the dead will help carry you into action. And when we as the church, filled by the Spirit, following the Spirit, when we take action, communities, cities, countries are changed for God. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for today. We just thank you for that promise that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We thank you for showing us mercy when we've run from you time and time and time again. We thank you for reaching out to us when we were far off and bringing us near. God, we pray that for those today, they would have the courage to follow you. Those listening today that have run from you, God, they would come home. And God, those who are Christians that need to take that big step would follow you in action. God, 
Restore to us a sense of amazement, God. Let us choose joy and let us be a church of action. We just thank you and love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 